Hi guys, welcome to episode four of now the named podcast Depths Depths by uh, Shubhi Barthwal, and that is me. Um, today I have my dear friend Aaron Gideon with me, and today's topic is going to be why it's important to be truthful to yourself. And yeah. I think this is a topic which really resonates with both of us because our school journey has just been really like in a way we kind of found ourselves and then because we found ourselves through that journey we know what it feels like to be lost and to be in that constant process of taking two steps forward and then making a mistake and then going four steps back and so i felt like the best person to call amongst my entire friend group was aaron cuz he's just he's very honest he's very good at communicating his feelings um which a lot of guys aren't good at so <laughs> that's awesome and um just like he's made a lot of growth which i've seen ever since school ended and he's changed his entire personality like he's not the same guy i knew in school oh. which is awesome it's really awesome and um in a way because he he's kept all the good stuff about him and really changed the things which he needed to work on and we kind of had the same traits like we're very sensitive and uh i would even say we're empaths to a certain extent where we would give our bullies second chances uh because we want to be friends with everyone and um yeah okay aaron so let me just all give right. a short introduction right now sure. aaron is um doing law at university of birmingham right and you're in year 3 now yeah final year yeah Yeah, he's in his final year and I think law is just the perfect thing for him to do just cuz he's all as I said he's always been a great 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 communicator. So, yeah, Aaron, do you want to introduce yourself? Sure. I don't know how I can top that cuz I was so heartfelt. But <laughs> uh I uh, I'm my name is Aaron. I am a final year law student at the University of Birmingham. I'm also the BAME coordinator for the Hoswood Club, uh which is our a uh, university law society and i'm also i've been a law mentor for uh, two years mentoring first years and freshers who are coming into the university yeah i've known shubhi since school yeah i think this topic of being truthful to yourself is something i had to come to grips with it's something that i i, I bet in shubhi as well we both know really well and we both experienced in our lives and i think it's something that everybody who wants to be somebody everyone who's not satisfied with where they are will have to consider and uh, face in our lives especially in today's day so do you exactly remember when we end up ended up becoming friends i would say somewhere on 8th grade you i think yeah i think uh, we met around 8th grade that's when i just started and um I think that's you when were even wait hold up i think you were yeah. even in my class in 5th grade were you well, i was in was school. i i have no clue i don't even remember 5th grade honestly but I might Which have been at C. I was in either an A or a C. Obviously, oh, it's not okay. like in some classes in the UK where you have like you know set one to set eight. You kind of you mix around according to you know your abilities or whatever you like to do. But yeah, I think we became friends after uni ended. Like we started to get to know each other a bit more after uni ended. I think throughout uh, sorry after school ended, but throughout school, I think obviously regards to how we were then and you know how I was then, it was a It was a very tumultuous thing to you know have a friendship like a true honest friendship between two people who don't give shit don't give a shit about what they say and so i guess that 
uh, the honesty and the truthfulness came out after school ended and we could see a different light to each other, then I think that's how it worked. Uh, I think so. I think so. I think we used to hang out in very, very different friend circles for us to, you know, kind of mutually become friends. Like, you know, yeah. like through some other mutual friends is what I meant. Like I kind of knew you through my friend Ananya because you were in mm-hmm. her class yeah. when we were in middle school. And so I knew you, but I just felt like um, maybe it was like too big of a bridge to like, you know, yeah. kind of like we were too different from one another to really like for me to like walk up to you and just be like, hey, what's up? But I, I think, think this, was- yeah, you're right. You're totally right. Sorry if I call you up. But I think that the uh, thing that really matters is the school itself and the way that, or sorry, not the school, rather the, the way in which the social structure uh, took part in school is quite, in a way, toxic because, you know, obviously one thing you have to consider is we were all teens and we all, you know, had hormones going on and, and it was like, oh, you're talking to a girl or, you know, <laughs> it, it has always, it's always the sort of thing. And I always felt like, oh, that's so stupid. But um, yeah that sort of thing kept people apart i feel and, and that, i think that was really not helpful for a lot of people and it's really not a good thing to grow under yeah, yeah makes bro. sense totally if things change you know i think um when we were able to recognize the faults in that sort of thinking and that happened over time i think time had a contributing factor to that uh we were able to change ourselves and be better uh better people and grow and learn and unlearn some of the things that school taught us and experiences taught us there's a part. There's a part relating to the topic. Being truthful is having to unlearn things. Yeah, whenever people go through life in school and uh, things in school, they often take it with them, and sometimes it can have an impact on the rest of their life. And sometimes you gotta know that some things are just not worth holding on to. Just chuck it off and start anew. And yeah, yeah, I think that that is one of the things that I had to learn through school. How, yeah. how, I'm wondering, how was your experience of GI of uh, school and how how did school kind of work out for you in that sort of aspect? I mean, um, it's very hard to kind of encapsulate the whole emotion into a couple of sentences, really. It was almost like I developed this survival instinct and I, I, I didn't know how to function um, other than that yeah. and when I'm in my survival instinct it's like I built this wall around me and this persona in my head of the person that I am yeah. um, to like fight off the bullies or to you know like fight off some criticism in order to you know fight that criticism off I, I had I had built this persona in my head and I started believing after some time that that person who I'd created in my head was me and I right. lost that distinction between pretending to be that person and the real me like in real life I I am a strong-headed person like I used to show in school but I'm not nearly as aggressive as I used to show people um I was just scared of being criticized to the point that you know I break and I was really insecure about a lot of things about myself and I didn't want people to see my flaws at some point I'd become this person in my own head like I'm I'm too cool. Like almost yeah. like this mentality of um like I will be so direct to you that you'll almost be a little scared to say anything which is slightly negative. Like even remotely negative to me, I would be like, really? I'm gonna roast your ass and then yeah. destroy you, continue to destroy you. And like when I say destroy you, it doesn't mean like you know what I mean, like literally destroy you. It's just yeah. like say something which would probably um, be so real that it would chip on your self-esteem but I definitely mm-hmm. 
But I think one thing which I can say for is I definitely did not behave like that with everyone. It was a behavior which was definitely safe for a particular group of people. But of course, yeah. of course that had it had its own side effect because that would repel anyone who even wanted to be friends with me. Yeah. You know, who who probably saw me just with my best friends and they were like, "Man, she looks fun. Like how are, how how is their group always laughing?" You know what I mean? Like I, one of the things I can say about myself is I'm funny. And maybe when people saw that i consciously can go back to certain times in my life where i was like oh my god this person wants to be friends with me right. and then i would see them lose interest in me eventually when they would probably see me i don't know like fighting with fighting bully off mm. and they would think that this is my norm behavior to anyone who's an outsider in my life you know who's not my best friend and when i came to uni i was the same person but i didn't have that close group of friends with me anymore so that meant that i had to break that wall down so that people can really connect with me and i mm-hmm. really struggled with that in first year cuz i just i'd kind of lost sense of myself as i told you like i i forgot the kind of person i was before i built that persona and i was like yeah this is me i'm i'm very sassy mm-hmm. and very talkative and i have to be the center of attention otherwise i just can't function and it took because i felt like if i wasn't the center of attention someone will come and 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 stomp all over me and bully mm-hmm. me and push me to the corner because i have in, been in that place as well it never went to the point that i became the bully but it went to the point that it's like you cannot touch me like if mm-hmm. you touch me um you are crossing a boundary which i and then i won't forget your behavior and you will forever be my enemy in a sense sometimes right yeah yeah that's a, that's that's a way <laughs> that's a very interesting thing because was, i i can draw parallels from that into my own transition from school to university so yeah. the thing about school was obviously one thing i had to highlight before i go on that point is the fact that i also thought of the same way i thought you were very scary i was scared of you for for a while actually because <laughs> i was like this person is fierce i've seen her roast people and i was like nah man i don't want that but um yeah i i think in many ways i felt that i had to be the smartest person in the room and i did not i felt that i had to be someone who knew everything and who's who's right all the time and um i didn't realize a flaw in that own concept of you can never be right all the time and you know you can never really have that sort of opinion and but i i was always like doggedly staring at anyone who ever uh like contravened my sense of what should be right and should be wrong i had a belief in an absolute sense of right or wrong that was only correct to myself but i yeah. didn't realize that other people's opinions matter and other people's opinions can be better and more right than mine so i didn't consider that and i i was i think towards the end of school i kind of started to alienate uh, myself away from a lot of people and i think that is that was not beneficial for me especially when i ended school so the i think a lot of it was actually triggered by the fact of i did not know what i wanted to do so initially i had been put into like the pathway of medicine by my parents my parents wanted me to be to be a doctor i didn't see that in my future but first in the first year of ib i just went you know what let's just go for it but i soon realized that this is not me and this is not what i'm doing so i had to dredge on for another year continuously knowing that this is not what i want to be this is not what i want to do i didn't know what i wanted to do but this was not it and yeah. that is something that a lot of people actually I saw in university identify with because they go on into something and just take it without actually knowing the implications of what it will relate to over or in the rest of your life 
And so I had a very hopeless feeling that along with the fact that I had to, um, you know, parry off any sort of um, argument or any sort of uh, opposition to anything I said with a, you know, with a retort, with a mean comment or with something like that. And I think that was really a bad color on me. And it started to change me in a way that to be more negative because school was a battleground. You had, as you said, you had to give them a low blow in order to get away from the being the target. So that didn't contribute well. I I got out of IB with barely any good scores. Like I passed him up, honestly. Uh, by by some providence, I was able to go into law, and I found that law was actually something I liked to do. Uh, once awesome. I, that, yeah, honestly, that's luck. I uh, like luck or some providence. But I did, I went through this thing, which is like a foundation year uh, in Brighton, uh, and I didn't know the, that. Yeah, so yeah, that's the thing. So I spent like a one year, I think about eight months in 2018 doing a foundation year in this uh, special college in Brighton. And um, there were about 20 people from the class. I'd not known any of them before. I met up one of them in like a, some sort of session once. I joined the class. I went there and I think, for, you know, imagine being away from family for the first time, like for an extended period of time, you're away. You, I've had like, I had like maximum two sleepovers before that. And, you know, <laughs> Being away for such an extremely long time, just let go. And um, there was a large amount of detachment between me and the rest. Because I carry that same sentiment of GIS to, you know, this place. And there was a point where I hit, uh, I started to hit lows. And there was a point at which it came to a point where I was not in a group chat while everyone else was. And that sort of thing happened. So imagine like 20 people. And these are the only people you know in the country. There's no one else you know. There's no one else you can relate to. And everybody has a has something against you and it was such a low feeling and i really felt that i think that was the time where i kind of slipped into a bit of a depressive state because i didn't want to get off my bed because i challenged myself by taking law i challenged my parents views by taking law i went against their views and one thing i'd always done previously was whenever i challenged my parents views or what my parents said over me i used to always succeed in that and then that's that caused my parents to actually believe in me and say you know what maybe he can do this but as time passed, it looked like I wasn't going to be able to. And that would cause me to be a big disappointment. And that kind of hit at my self-esteem. That caused me to go into lows. I, I, I think I went into a semi-sort of depressive state. I didn't get out of my room. for. I remember for a whole week, I did not get out of my room. And it was it was really probably one of the lowest points of my life. And um, So would you I, describe that as your, as your turning point in life? Like, you know, at that point where you were the only one who's excluded out of a friend group, you were like, there's definitely some behaviors in me, which I have to change so that I can move forward. And so you were being honest with yourself. In a way, yes. Um, In a way, yes, it's true. But uh, I think that took a little bit more time. So I somehow I was able to get to the University of Birmingham. I still got pretty okay grades. During the first year, I was still finding myself, but I had come to the realization of the point, I do want this place to be like that place. I had also, yeah. I think one of the things that happened in the other school was I had, had a huge weight gain. So I my health started to suffer. I didn't yeah. exercise much in that time and I had started to swell up. So literally when I came back home to Singapore, everyone commented, everybody and you commented, dude, you gained a lot of weight. And it was worrying, a worrying amount of weight. I think one of the things that changed for me in, in uh, from from uh, that foundation year to university was actually sort of having a discipline to take care of my health. I think that it's cathartic in a way. It really helped me in that sort of catharsis. 
and you were also able to make friends with you know the group so i did kickboxing and uh, i was able to make friends there but i think what really caused that change was the second year when i decided to take a chance at socializing with people take a chance at letting the past hurts and history go the issue yeah. that you the history that you have when you go through a very tumultuous period is you let that situation play out in the in your following situations where you assume that that situation is going to be the status quo for the rest of your life i think it's important to define what exactly sure. you're talking about so sure. are you are you saying that there's a what i at least that's what i believe in is that people are given labels in school which they they get uh, because when you know when people are said the same thing over and over again after some time you kind of lose the sense of truth and the sense of yourself yeah. and you start thinking you are that label yeah. and so you know from what i understand is um that you were not able to escape that label am i right in a way yes um yeah you you are right by saying that uh i think the label was more of a label i put on myself so i yeah. designated a label upon myself of me being argumentative me being so like people used to say i was argumentative and i wasn't easy to cooperate with and i put that on myself but instead and then think, yeah so you don't think you know when someone externally tells you something it didn't affect you as much as your own criticism for yourself got the better of you i think it certainly did i think um my own criticism was more important than some what someone else said because i could disregard mm-hmm. i could easily disregard what they said but i could never disregard what i said about myself i yeah. called my i called myself a disappointment many times because i i thought i had disappointed my parents and i thought that that was going to be the status oh. quo for the rest of my life what did that stem from did that stem from you know is it just academic or is it something you know which is deep inside yourself like you don't like behaviors in yourself or was that something more academically driven it was a mix of it was a kaleidoscope of different things that contributed mm-hmm. to that i think one of uh, the few things i could name if i think about it now were one academic certainly i had uh, my degrees were dropping in in that foundation course and i think one of the things that happens is uh, and especially i had to realize this which is a reality of the world and reality of the world that i operate in which is if you don't uh, demonstrate your capability you will not get friends you will not get people to come close to you and there's a fact of the world is that most of the time at least if you want to like you know excel and go to that other level you have to demonstrate a certain amount of capability that others will come to you i think that's something that was very real for me and i wasn't able to demonstrate that i was continuously like you know my grades were dropping i was getting things wrong in class and that caused other people to go away from me because they couldn't gain anything from me so the reality of my world is even today is the friend group i surround myself with i can always learn something from them that's not the full thing obviously because there's a lot to do is with support and all that stuff but a big yeah, part yeah i want to say that's like yeah. a very that's a, that's a very practical way of looking at things and i think at least what i gather from what you're saying is um you're talking more about the harsh realities of the world than more yeah. of a emotional connection but yeah. at the same time like you said like you know that there you know there is a emotional connection for a friendship course, yeah. to really last I, but at the same time there has to be something which you yeah. can yeah so okay, there has so to I'm be like, a there's a you're right but there has to be a base amount of competence that you have to demonstrate in order for people to be friends with you at least if they want to excel so you don't surround yourself with people who do not want to be what you want to be or do not have that sort of aspiration absolutely 
Yeah. So, like for now, I I surround myself. My friends, my close friends, are people who are you know heads of the societies, uh, who yeah. are the the successful people. And by surrounding myself in that sort of group, I in turn also benefit, and I benefit others. So they all, you all come in, into that group and sort of develop and grow with each other and help each other to grow and develop as well. If you are the one anomaly in that area, you're immediately outcasted, which is the harsh reality of life. And I. that sort of outcast or uh, they let me descend into that level of i feel like a failure i'm not learning anything i feel like i failed my parents i failed myself oh. and so and the issue with that is you put a label on you and then what you tend to say is or you lead to say is i will not stop being a failure which is completely wrong which is not at all true i mean evidenced by the where i am now it's not at all true you if you put that label upon yourself you lead yourself down a downward slope into despair and purposely you putting yourself you causing it is yourself to fail not a situation sorry to interrupt you but i actually um i actually relate to what you say a lot mm-hmm. um my philosophy in life has always been that i i can't um make friends who i can't learn anything from and i always True. tell this to ananya but this is something which i wasn't able to put in words like articulate until a few years ago because right. i just felt like it's not that i don't have a certain criteria for making friends but i always i've always noticed i pick people or choose to be friends with people who are eccentric like i can yeah i can describe them as being eccentric there is something about them which sets them apart from different people like from the other people like they right. might be good at music dance you know something you're really good and passionate about basically people who have found themselves in the sense that they are passionate about something in their life you know right yeah it's not it's it's not just blank behind their eyes and um not that i don't not that i'm not empathetic towards those people or i don't want to help them you know like find themselves right. or if they're going through like a tough phase in life but the, that's the kind of friends i want you know who are ready True. to experiment who are creative especially creative driven people like i find them extremely attractive like to have like a really really good friendship with True. um yeah and the second point i actually really relate with you is you talking about how you had gone through this cycle of depression in your first and second year and it's it's a bit hard for me to admit but i have to it's horrible like i find it very hard for me to even talk about it even now for me that breaking point was a bit different from your journey i also shared a very similar feeling of like let like that i'm a failure like you know how you associated um the world kind of um like stagnant almost for you yeah. or um but i the word which i was using in my like yeah you used the word disappointment disappoint mm-hmm. but i used the word more of failure and right. i never felt like i failed my parents in a sense my fight was a lot with myself and i let right. people really get to me because i'm a, i'm a huge 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 people pleaser i do not yeah. like being disliked with from anyone and let's say if i was bullied by someone in school i want them to be my friends and so i would mm-hmm. give them many chances because i just i don't see a reason why i need to have enemies i don't right. see a reason why someone needs to dislike me because i i genuinely believe in really really good communication so right. if i have a problem with someone i just go and tell them and if they have a problem with me i expect them to come and tell me their problem so you know when when i realize that there is someone who would dislike me no matter what i do 
Right. And sometimes you don't even have a reason. It really bothered me. And so whatever they told me, I sometimes I try to fight it off, like I said. But at some point, I started internalizing it. Mm. And so, you know, where where at on one side, you didn't let the labels get to you, but it was your self-criticism which kind of tormented you. For me, it was the opposite. I let that criticism get to me. And it was a combination of both, I would say, actually, because I'm a very self-critical person as well, but I'm very mm-hmm. critical of others as well. So when someone would say something to me, I would be like, I'd be like, yeah, I am. I am that person. And then other times I would be like, hold on a second. Um, they're saying something, but it's not entirely true. But at the same time, there's an element of it, which is true, you know, so I, it would be this process where yeah. I had to constantly take in people's criticism. And then each time I had to have a reflective look back in because I wasn't sure of myself. So I had to mm-hmm. keep asking myself, am I these things? Am I this? Am I that? And when you're not sure of yourself and when you're suffering from low self-esteem, it's always a world full of doubt because yeah. you doubt yourself so much. So you can't believe even if someone's giving you a compliment, I'm like, I, I can't. That's not true. They're sabotaging yeah. me. That's so true. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> yeah. I, re- I really relate to that point of someone giving you a compliment. You're like, that's not me. But sometimes it also relates to criticism. Um, my parents like used to say that I was proud. I had a lot of pride. I never, I always used to say, I don't have pride. I'm not proud because I didn't understand what pride meant. It, mean, it meant to regard yourself as something above. So that applied to criticism as well. But then over time, I realized I was a very proud person. I had too much pride in me. So I had to learn humility. And yeah, Absolutely. 100% relate to you. I used to get that vibe from you as well, where where maybe you were too, what do you call it? Like in a slang kind of word, maybe too thick skull to even hear anyone yeah. else's opinion. Hundred percent, yeah. It was a it was a coping mechanism, as you earlier mentioned, to stay away from you know letting anyone else come in. Going back to the turning point I was talking about is, mm-hmm. you know, when I realized all of this about myself, um, it was I thought that I'd passed the the hurdle and finally people would start liking me, and you know, I basically like I knew there was something wrong, but I didn't know how right. to fix it. Um, but at least I knew something was wrong. And I was like, oh, I'm on the path of fixing it. And now I have time and I have opportunities to to start fresh. When I went for uni and I thought that I was on a path of completely reinventing myself. But what I didn't realize was that, as I told you before, I'd kind of lost myself a long time ago. And it's really hard to change the behaviors which you have been set into for a very long time. And so I'd already cultivated this mentality as I would like to describe it. It's called queen bee mentality where Mm -hmm. you have to be the center of attention um, and constantly get replies from everyone on the table to keep your own self-ego and your self-esteem high. And the second someone in front of you, beside you, or on the table starts talking to someone else and you're not involved in the conversation, you start feeling like the same person that you were in like 10th grade where you were backed up on a corner and and, and bullied by people or mm. not, not 10th grade, what I'm saying, like when I first joined school in like 5th grade, like you were that you were that girl who everyone made fun of, who no mm. one wanted to be friends with, or you were even criticized for liking Barbie like I was. Like, mm. um, yeah. Yeah, big flashback, but... <laughs> But yeah, you start into back and feeling like that kid all over again when you're mm-hmm. not. You've yeah. clearly done so much growth. But I think when people go through that kind of bullying or that kind of trauma, it kind of stays in some part of your brain. And right. um, it comes to the, into the fourth, you know, like in into your consciousness sometimes 
when you're going through something really tough and then right that kind of you know comes forth again and you're like wait like you you forget everything else which you've accomplished because people who have low mm-hmm. self esteem i don't think they give themselves credit for everything they've achieved over the years so it's true yeah yeah so you know like i'm not the same person with the same knowledge base i was when i was 10 i've done ig like which is gcse boards and i've also done ib and now i've even finished and i've graduated from architecture but sometimes i forget all of that and i don't give mm-hmm. myself credit for that and at that point of time started thinking that i wasn't good enough because people on the table because the mentality changed in school i had my own group of people and so i was always queen bee i was always right. queen because they were all my friends wanted to talk to me because they were my friends you know what i mean mm-hmm. yeah. they were the same group of people who like my oldest friend ananya i know her since i was 10 so our friendship is wow. over more than a decade old now so of course she will give me her attention you know what i mean all mm-hmm. of her attention of course i'm going to be queen bee on that table because we're best friends and right. the other people on my table are also my best friends so if they are giving me all all of their attention i'm giving all of my attention to them and since it was mutual i never realized that i had this complex inside of me you know because mm-hmm. i was like yeah. i i considered them to be my equals but when i went to uni i still carried that queen bee mentality you know like it's like i am mm-hmm. the best not not always not like it's i never had a problem with humility i had a problem with attention like mm-hmm. i need people's attention and i'm not attention hungry in that way where i'm like and i will yeah. talk about really I don't know attention grabbing or controversial subjects that was not my approach my approach was to talk a lot a lot about things which i'm interested in so that i right. can I, like throwing like just in, just like throwing information at people about yourself hoping they like you was my right, approach yeah. and because you're right. always talking on the table you're the center of attention right mm-hmm. and so that was my approach and slowly people who i used to sit with in lunch were you know like they started reeling back and holding mm. themselves back and somebody even tell me on my face that i was talking way too much and like it's like why don't you ever stop talking and just eat your dinner and i used to and it's like people in school have also t- told me that before come on you know like my label mm. given to school was talkative yeah and true. i saw that as a very huge insult and mm. I felt insulted. I felt humiliated. I was like how can they say that I talk a lot? I'm only talking. It's completely harmless. Yeah. And um that was until December came along and I decided to stay back and not go home in December. And I had a lot of alone time because the you know the hostel I was staying at like my accommodation started clearing out because you know in UK Yeah. um you know like christmas is a big holiday and everyone goes home and does not want mm-hmm. to you know spend it alone it's only the international students which stay and coincidentally no one in my building was staying back it was just me and i think two or three other people it's a five story building it's not i can't know everyone right. so i knew someone was there but in my friend group i didn't know anyone who was staying back and so it right. cut me off completely from everyone who i knew and mm-hmm. it was just me and when it was just me i already knew as i told you that there was something to be fixed it right. gave me this time this window where i could completely reel back every minute of my life and just kind of i am that kind of person as well who tends to remember everything like it's so annoying sometimes i remember mm-hmm. every nothing escapes my eyes it's annoying but um 
sometimes in situations like this it really helps because i could i could go back to conversations and see when a person started to really repel from me you know it's right. like i'm exceeding the limit they can bear me it's like oh shut up already <laughs> and that's when i realized that rather than being confident in the kind of person i am and who mm-hmm. i am and being like yeah people will like me i have something about me which people will like i used to take this approach where i was like i have to make them like me cuz the idea of them not liking me was so terrifying to me like i'm like oh my right. god what if they don't like me i'll have no friends yeah and, and i think that kind of stemmed from me not liking my own company you know mm-hmm. and i didn't like being alone i didn't like being alone in myself oh my god that, yeah yeah do you want to say something it, about that yeah of course um i've I was thinking about some of the things you were saying and really resonated with them and I think one of the things that you talked about which was about um kind of having to do that correction and do those corrections on your personality. I actually read a, an article this morning in fact on negative thinking in the Financial Times and it was sort of talking about the importance of negative thinking. And initially when I saw the the article like the 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 blurb I was like, "Huh?" Like I've throughout <laughs> my life I've I've tried to break down negative thinking. Like what is this guy trying to say? But then it talks about you know stuff like like recently what happened with the track and trace app and how they did not have um they did not have the experts come in and kind of break it down and form contingency plans and things like that. And um I think the biggest thing is that it is important to think critically about yourself and think about where you've gone wrong. It's important to criticize yourself with the caveat being that it is important to make sure that you maintain a balance. between positive and negative i think the issue sometimes is either you can think of yourself too positively and be too um positive about your future or everything will be fine everything will be all right happy go lucky kind of person exactly i find people who who are happy go lucky so annoying i'm like do they not self reflect and you know think about the dangers in life or what could yeah. go wrong they just don't have that feature it's like they shut their brain completely off and everything is like daisies on a field and i'm like oh. i think it's more for a defense mechanism in a way because they do not want to think about what could go wrong otherwise they'll fall down a hole so they yeah. think that the best way is to just be positive not make any contingency plans not think about the future that's that's bad because then you don't think about plan b c and d the alternative yeah. is where you are only negative and then you don't think about what you've done well I actually find it very hard sometimes to relate to people who are happy go lucky till yeah. I I one of my best friends was someone who I would describe as happy go lucky very happy go lucky the more came to know him the more I was like oh yeah this is definitely a defense mechanism True, because yeah. and I still don't know why he does it exactly like you know this kind of mechanisms which we form in life is something which I would say comes from um the parenting style of the parent yeah, and it sure. all from your upbringing you know the setting mm. which you were going in what kind of friends you had and yeah. all these things kind of shape the way you kind of handle stress so i never mm-hmm. found out where it stemmed from but i definitely figured out it was a defense mechanism i have seen people like that as well uh the people who don't think about oh you know if i don't do this now if i don't study now or if i don't do the work now i'll run late to the deadline and i used to do that i used to be very like oh deadline i'll leave it till the deadline or uh, i didn't make contingency plans but that proves a negative when you are in the shit and you have to do your work and 
and you realize that if I had only done, if only, I think I got sick of listening, of saying to myself, if only, and I started to make that change. Um, well, something that happened recently, though, for me was um, I was ap applying for a job and I'm in the, in the area where I'm applying for jobs and, and all that stuff. And this is a job that I really wanted to get into. I really felt I had a, had a good chance and I was unfortunately not able to get in. And immediately what happened to me was um, I started to feel bad. I started to feel I wasn't good enough. And a, a glimpse of the past came in. And again, that imposter syndrome came in as well. But then yeah. what you had to do and what my, my reflexes kicked in and said, no, look at where I've come. I, I graduated from, from IB with like passing marks. I'm not supposed to be here, but I am here. You made it. Means, yeah. So it's all about maintaining the balance of criticizing yourself and knowing where you've gone wrong making those contingency plans and being critical of what the actions that you're doing, as well as being positive and realizing that you have the capability to do what's in front of you. I always, uh, yeah, I always say one thing that I always like live by is whatever, if something is placed in front of you, it's only because you can do it and you can handle it. And that's the way I, I take, I take an, a view of things. If, if there's a job, or work task space in front of me. The only reason this space in front of me is because I can do it. So that's a way in which I kind of motivate myself and say, there's nothing that I can't do. Obviously I, I edit myself, but there's nothing that I can't do. And I think that's something that a lot of people need to learn in today's day, at least where I see from freshers coming to uni, they need to learn that anything is possible if they put their mind into it and they make those edits in themselves. So we were talking, we've, we've kind of talked just about everything on the spectrum but i was yeah. hoping we could follow the structure but that really <laughs> has gone to shit now <laughs> it happens yeah. um, one of the pointed questions i wanted to ask you specifically was like did you feel that sometimes you you know you um as you said you were like a very argumentative person and you in your own eyes as well um did you feel that sometimes you used to have these arguments with um with people to seek their validation in a sense and then and if you didn't have that validation and attention you felt like um it it was harder for you to sustain that friendship or did it come from this place of insecurity where you were like um if i don't have any interaction with them then mm -hmm. they will go and find other friends you know i think these the desire to argue came from stemmed from the area of me wanting to prove to myself and the world that i was something special or something to be contented with or something to contend, something to be comparative to whom to be comparative with. Because certainly in, in school, I wasn't very comparative with my grades because again, I did not like what I wanted to do. So I had to present a way in which I could be feared or, or considered as, oh, this guy is smart. I always oh. wanted to tell others that I was smart. I was capable. And I found I thought the way to do that was through political debate and through maybe like raising up some crazy opinions that I hadn't fully thought about. But I thought that that was a way to do it. Certainly not the right way. I I thought that having that sort of and again it came from ego. I had huge issues with ego when I was younger, and yeah, I felt that that was that was the thing that really stemmed that. Um, and just to let you know, like in school, I never thought of you as one of those people who. Oh, were, thank you. Like, like stupid in any sort of sense um like even if you didn't have those arguments i never felt like you were 
a person who didn't score well. In fact, I always thought that he was smarter than me. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I, yeah. I, honestly, I tell you something. I don't think I was. I, I think I, I got, I got seriously low grades, and I think that grades was a, was a very big thing for me because there was one point. In fact, it's a very interesting thing. There was one point where there was this one girl in our class. I think around the end of uh, secondary school, and she was the smartest. She should beat everybody all the time. But there was one class, I think, computer science, where I got above her, and literally every single person said, "Oh my God, Aaron got more than her! Can you believe that Aaron got more than her?" And I felt so good. But then I realized that, and now I realize if I think about it, that was actually the turning point for where I wanted to feel that again. I wanted people to say my name that, oh my God, Aaron is so good. And over time, I realized that that's not really a good thing, a good thing to have a desire for. You don't, it's not a good thing to really, you know, uh, hear from other people because all it does is feeds that ego, feeds that fire. And yeah. I had to learn that other people's opinions on me should not matter that much. Absolutely. That's what I took from that. Because, you know, the whole world can hate you, but if you love yourself, then that's yeah. enough. That should be enough. Because, uh, I mean, to look at the extreme uh, side of things, for example, narcissists, they mm -hmm. don't need anyone's validation because in their head, they're so, like, neurologically, they're so set in that way that they can murder someone and still think of themselves as innocent. And they can right. they can destroy someone's life and emotionally manipulate them. The, the their partners mostly people who are closest to them are which narcissists attack yeah. they consciously know that they're they are you know emotionally manipulating someone they're you know what do you call it like they're abusive like domestic mm -hmm. abuse and they know they're doing it but in their head it makes sense because they are so confident in themselves and because they love themselves so much when like in certain cases when like the police comes and in interrogates them they're so brutally honest about it because in their head it's so justified their actions are so justified they love themselves so much they trust themselves so much they're like yeah i've done this so what i'm still a good person i still mm -hmm. love myself and you know like i'm not saying to be inspired by them oh, but right. it is something which can be done you know what i mean yeah. like you do not need to be a narcissist just to believe in yourself yeah but if you need if you if you think that the human is not capable of this i think maybe you should look at some narcissist cases yeah, <laughs> yeah take, take a look at um uh what's his name ted bundy and um look at the way that he he to the end and the guy was a lawyer and look at the way that he uh convinced people that he was good i think there, was, there were people there were girls the women who were sending him fan letters in prison after yeah. even after it came out that he you know murdered and, and done such yeah. horrible things and there were women he was so he was so charismatic that there were Absolutely. women who sent him letters uh, fan letters and he was a good looking guy as well I think I didn't think so, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> but but uh, I think that just proves to show that humans can uh, really have a have a ability to rationalize anything. It's certainly a very bad thing as well because sometimes you can start to rationalize your own uh, laziness or your own inabilities to do things. But some, sometimes you have to rationalize some of the things that you, you you do, especially if you're facing issues of you know com feeling competent. I think that's when you you really use that little bit of Ted Bundy as thinking 
I wouldn't suggest <laughs> anyone be like Ted Bundy. Please do not be like Ted Bundy. But yeah. yeah. crazy like um he used to really play on people's emotions mm-hmm. um really stemming from like sympathy and pity is what yeah. most he used to not not i'm not talking about the court rooms i'm talking more about when he used to murder people he used to roam around with like a sling in his hand or like with mm. crutches and he has a broken leg and then he would ask yeah. someone like hey can you help me put these bags inside um like the the boot of his car and then that's how he killed one of the women uh, which is yeah. like he he pushed the woman inside the car not completely like just her head and then he just closed the oh, uh the, what do you call it like the boot door on 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 her head and then i think she ended up getting like uh what do you call it decap <laughs> decapitated yeah that yeah. was rough yeah it's horrible yeah um, there, there are people like that and i think the humans humans are possible uh, have the possibility to do so many crazy things and in a way you can say that I think a way to rationalize it and obviously trying not to be too offensive the way to rationalize it is if Ted Bundy can if there's a possibility for a human to act in such nefarious and disgusting ways there's a possibility for humans to act in very good and ways that help society ways that help people um i was hoping you could go a bit more into um like what steps did you take to rectify these behaviors you mm-hmm. know like um just the changes which you wanted to do in yourself like right after school or just in your second year when you said you reached your turning point mm-hmm. and increase your self worth and mend your self image and i definitely know that you know music and your faith was a big part of it and of course i don't expect you to give me like a full blown theory but yeah i just want to know how exactly you went about that the biggest change for me was humility i think i had to learn how to be humble and one of the things is to be silent i had to learn to keep quiet i had to learn to have a posture yeah exactly honestly it doesn't seem like that but i had to really learn to shut up and listen to people and to and because the thing is when you're forming arguments when you're or when you're when you listen to an opinion that you don't like the thing is you start to form an argument in your brain you start to form a retort before listening to the person and i was in fact there was a article that came out today in the wall street journal where they were looking at two in two families with completely polar opposing um political views one house supported biden the other house supported trump and they they had picket signs on outside that i love biden i love trump but right next to those signs they said i love them and i love them these people were so close despite those polar opposing um political views and the way they did that was by listening was by uh hearing about about each other's experiences and that's what i had to learn in my life i had to i mean it, you know it said even if a fool keeps silent he is thought of as wise and something you have to keep in the back of your mind so whenever this situation comes up you point it out and you say oh wait hold up take a back step that's something that i really learned it changed me yeah absolutely and you know like as i said like we weren't great friends or even good friends when school ended yeah and there was never one point you know when i finished school i was like oh man like me and aaron didn't get to become like good friends and i regret it so much and you know i never felt that because i think at that point of time you hadn't changed but mm. the vibe completely changed like even on your social media like i could feel that you've changed and on social media wow okay yeah just generally like yeah. i'm a person who's all about vibes by the way so like mm-hmm. don't take don't take my word to be of a normal human being i'm telling you, i just <laughs> i work on a different wavelength i swear to god like 100%. i can feel 
the vibe. Like I can feel right. like if a person changed. I'm very like what do you call it? Mm. Intuitive. And most of the things which I do is from like from my gut, and mm-hmm. uh, it's just the way I function. Which some like it's it's because when you're following your gut, it's almost like making a guess, and sometimes that's why I get things wrong, obviously. But that's just how I function. Like I, I'm right. the kind of person who doesn't look like a, at a lot of facts. I just kind of feel things out, and then I just mm-hmm. kind of go about things like that. So I'm not exactly very practical. I'm all about emotions and gooey shit. Yeah. I don't know the vibe was very different it was very chill it wasn't you screaming your opinions on people and not saying that you did that all the time but it was kind of your MO. like my MO was to go and fight with like one of those ugly bullies in school and be like how dare you treat my friend like this and every day it was like a new fight a new drama yeah. came from the same place of insecurity and just wanting to prove to people that I'm something you can't mess yeah. with me um yeah and I get that Yeah and then when i felt like things were simmering down there was this vibe of almost like maturity and i i could just tell because instead of putting your energy into defending yourself from people you started getting more into like music and then you you had that live stream where you were playing the guitar and mm, then you yeah. had um what else did you had you you like used to post stuff like you were going to the gym regularly and i have a lot of respect for people who go to the gym and you know take care of the health and fitness and just it takes a lot because you know it might seem like a small step but it takes a lot of um i would say courage to even go to the gym and put yourself in out way, there yeah. you know what i mean like when you're running yeah. on the treadmill like for like being a girl i feel so self conscious i'm like damn mm. all my fats are fucking jiggling right now <laughs> like someone could see me on the treadmill and be like oh my god this fat girl so um yeah, yeah. i think it takes a lot of even just and just you know like putting so much effort into caring what you eat and mm-hmm. stopping yourself from like you know just yeah. like eating junk food like you know it's it from all those temptations it's it's hard and so i deeply respected that Thank and you. then there was all your work for um for for all the freshers i think um, where you were running for committees and you were putting out putting out all this content on your uh, making live streams about um you know like why they should pick you and who, yeah. what pointers you want to change and you could see that you know you were putting your energies into different things and clearly you were passionate about many things in your life and it was like mm-hmm. you know the starting of you defining the kind of person you are yeah and it it was really cool to me i was like okay iron has changed and um yeah it takes it takes a lot i would say it takes a lot so i was like man i got to reach out to him this is a friend i need to have and yeah. i think you noticed that because i think let me think wait i think in 2019 summer is when i just randomly said hi to you out of the blue on insta i was just like hi yeah. ren what are you doing yeah it's <laughs> true i was I, in singapore i think at the time as well i was I'm not uh, sure about that mm, i don't mm, were you I think I 2019 summer I was in Singapore I was in my internship but yeah uh yeah I had noticed that via random message from you and remembering your history of how you were in Jias I was like oh why is she messaging me like what's going on and yeah. obviously then through our conversations I realized oh she's changed as well and I was like I could kind of relate to that because I was oh she's gone through that transformative process and that's one thing I see from people in school a lot of them have changed a lot of them have become someone new I think um that's a really good thing to see. By the way, do you still keep an interest in music? Do you want to plug something right now? Are you working on something? 
Oh no, <laughs> law does not give me time to pursue musical experts. Now I I play music in the free time just for fun, but uh, I'm I've it's been a while since I played in a band. <laughs> okay, uh, are you comfortable talking about your faith a little bit? Because sure. I I knew that was something which you were extremely passionate about, even when you were in school, and mm. to me it almost seemed like. you you never forced your faith on anyone but it almost felt like you thought that it was something so good for your life you wanted to share it with your friends and yeah. um like for example i remember once you asked all of us to come to a music recital which was some sort of choir oh, yeah. and um you tried giving people a pamphlet and they weren't open minded oh, yeah. about it enough but i could mm-hmm. tell that it was from like a really good place where you just wanted people to be a part of your community so mm-hmm. my question to you is that you know like how did faith give you strength and does it help you you know like stay true to yourself um so to specify the faith i'm christian i'm a, a protestant christian um so in school i think one of the things in uh, as part of christianity is this thing called evangelism where it is about spreading the word and kind of getting other people to know about you know who god is and who christ is and in school i think one of the things that i I tried to do was try to be very evangelistic. I tried to, you know, spread, but I think I did it the wrong way. And it was a bit of a hypocritical thing that even I could realize, even looking back today, where I tried to talk about the word, I tried to talk about Christianity, but I wasn't living a Christian life. I wasn't humble. And humility is the one of the biggest things in Christian, in a Christian um, like uh, perspective, like looking at Christ's life. It's about being hum- humble. So about listening to other people, caring about other people, and. that helped me evolve actually taking a step back from just pushing 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 and actually listening to the word again listening to what i was actually trying to say again and that caused that shift and that change in me yeah awesome i'm so happy that you were forthcoming about you know just just talking about your faith because i think it's something very deeply personal because every mm-hmm. person has their own journey you know yeah faith is a bit of a taboo in today's era like having a faith so i've got friends who say oh aren't you religious so yeah i am and it's a bit of like oh so it it is it is something that i feel it can benefit people's lives it can really help people especially with mental issues i remember when i had that sort of depressive turn I kind of turned to faith a little bit more because I was away from faith but at that time I think in Brighton I was really away from yeah. faith and then over time I started to turn back into it and I started to improve on myself and kind of like look at myself and be a bit more introspective and faith offers a nice community as well and we go there for God we go there to prayers and we also go there to talk to other people we live we are in a community of Christian believers so I mean it's it's a place open to everyone it's not open nothing to do with your race or your own religion is open to everybody to learn about the christian faith so whatever your background is and that's what i really like about it yeah yeah um and i used to also be one of those people who used to think that oh if i'm not christian i can't go to a church but in uk um i had my friend um you know her name's Paulina and she actually was like yeah you can come to the church like why don't you come to the church with me yeah it's a place where people can actually heal a little bit i think a lot of people who go to church they also go through their own their own issues everybody has some issue going to life and it's a place where we can come together and sort of relate in a community bonding thing even if maybe like you do not believe in the faith or you're not religious or anything i think i would highly suggest anyone to just pop into a church and see how it's like just like you know be open minded let's check it out yeah Also you know there's 
there's a strange dichotomy about you which is almost funny to me sometimes and intriguing because in school on one hand where you were you know like um as you describe it being argumentative or getting even bullied but at the same time you were someone who the other guys were a bit scared to bully as well they were like nah man let's not mess with Aaron today nah not Where today. did you hear you know? that <laughs> there there were the mentality was such that when they were having a bad day they would go and attack you but they, like you know just to get like some fun out of it but on other days when they they were like maybe like tired or they didn't have their self esteem together they would be like no nah, man we can't we can't we, no 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 nah, let's not get into aaron today cuz there was always a point when you came with that confidence at them it 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 hurt them it got to them aaron because you know your efforts were not wasted cuz oh, we're yeah. humans and we feel when someone tells us something we feel it even if you're like no nah, we yeah. don't care we we feel it and they felt it too and so i want to ask you like where do you get that kind of confidence from like i want to know like what was your mindset when you stood up to the bullies and naysayers and how were you so unabashedly yourself like for example i want to give you a few examples and everyone else a few examples yeah. of when aaron had big guts like um i remember when he first sang on stage and he played the oh, guitar yeah. and i i shit you not might sound like um something which was like really like what is just a guy on a talent show playing a guitar no it was not um we were in middle school i would say we were in 8th grade or 9th grade and no one else was putting up that kind of talent on stage because everyone was going to that phase where they were like i'm not sure of myself i get stage fright <laughs> and i was one of and I, i wouldn't even say one of the first people he was the first person from my entire grade to like go and put up a performance and it wasn't just our grade who was going to watch his performance yeah. it was i would say i think four grades together so it was more than i would say 300 people yeah uh, sort I, of, I, I would, yeah. yeah more than 300 people because we had a big uh, uh, auditorium and so yeah he was like yeah i'm going to do it and he picked up his guitar and it was so cool like i remember everyone was like holy shit it was really cool um i didn't like played like a set of songs and everyone was singing along and um you know it, it it was like a mini concert and people were not ready for it it was almost revolutionary and then later <laughs> you really <laughs> you so many compliments um no i'm 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 like serious like when when we were walking up the stairs like going back to our classes everyone was like damn i need to put up like a performance like arhan or like oh man he killed it like that kind of mm-hmm. thing and it was like it was such a dichotomy it's like you always knew who you were and you always had the confidence were in certain sectors and then in certain parts of yourself you were like mm, i don't know what's happening and so i yeah. just want to know like how how did you like get that confidence you know yeah um i think that that performance actually happened um i think around in ninth grade but something that wasn't that you didn't actually bring up that i thankfully you didn't bring up i was hoping everyone forgot it but there was one performance before that that i remember we played hey jude and uh, which is a beatles song and it's a big song and um my voice cracked on stage and when my voice cracked i was like oh crap you know like oh no but then somehow something came up inside of me and i got off my chair and i took the mic and i went down off stage and i started singing to the people <laughs> oh my god yes that was that was a crazy thing and i i thought i was going to be mocked for it and i was mocked for it but 
I learned out of failure and I got better and better to the extent that our final performance, which was Teacher's Day, we played a Hindi song. It was literally like, oh, beautiful. Um, answering your question on dichotomy, I was, I was still finding myself. I was still, that was a point of experimentation. No one was really that fussed about actually going on stage. People, as you said, stage fright and and I also had stage fright. But then I, I have this thing to myself is whenever I get in a tough situation or I get in a bit of a opposition or like a, a nervous situation, I say, let's go for it. Let's do it, see what happens. So I had to have that sort of doggedness and I went in, I did it. Sometimes it went good, sometimes it went bad. But at the end of the day, I didn't stop. And that is something that I think people need to understand that failure is not, there's not like certain yourself to be in the in the bottom ring failures is something you learn from and mm -hmm. um it is being willing to go and give it all that makes you because someone who's doing who's you know successful the point at which you stop giving it all the point at which you stop yourself is actually the point of failure it's not being unsuccessful in the task it's stopping yeah, yourself in the start point and nipping the bud which causes that failure so yeah I think that's something that people can really learn from yeah, I think I personally personally need to learn from that. For example, this this YouTube channel, it's taken me years to finally yeah. come out with this kind of thing. Like if you knew I had that stint in school where I made a YouTube channel and I was the kind yeah. of posting on it regularly, then I went to uni and then this whole another crisis started happening where I was like friends, self-identity, and I was struggling with different things. And I just gave up on this because I was like, when I'm not good enough for myself, then why will other people like me? And mm -hmm. I that's what I thought. I was like, I can't do it. I, I'm just not as good as the other people who are online. And so, so you know, like what's the point of a YouTube channel? Whether it be a vlogging channel, there are vloggers who are better than me. So I can't I can't do this. Right. Um so channel there are singers who are better than me i can't do this and mm -hmm. it's taken me forever to come to the point where i'm like it does not matter if i don't have really good video quality i'm still going to do it you know what i mean right. like 100%. i'm going to try this out and test the waters and finally see if someone really is interested in even listening to me like there's so many people on this planet there has to be one person who will listen to me 100%, and, yeah. yeah that's that's what i'm doing out here and it's it's crazy, but like in a long time, I've just decided to just do it. Like I'm I think just doing the best example to say coming from bottom up. I think for me was when I saw like you know Justin Bieber. He he he. If you see his YouTube channel, like the old videos, he had these super amateur videos. He's a kid playing guitar, and now look where he is. He's like a superstar. So the reason he got there, he made a lot of mistakes as well. And the reason he got there was he still kept going on. He didn't care about what people said about him or what could happen. Um, it's it's just not caring about it, but also not regressing. Um, so is not to fall behind and go back and say, oh no, and stop yourself. That's where you fail. That's where I feel mm -hmm. that. I think we've covered a lot of school. Let's move on to more of uni. And mm -hmm. I know you've kind of briefed us a bit about why you chose law anyways, but I'm just trying to understand if there was any specific um inclination you had towards a certain type of law or to a certain sector of law you know like some people can be really into um crime and investigation like i am i'm really interested into that so if i picked a course like law um it would be to become like a you know what you say like a crime a defense lawyer. lawyer yeah, yeah exactly yeah that criminal law um, i think uh, for me at the moment uh, my my pathway is leading more towards corporate law and leading more towards um areas of private client uh 
de dealing with private clients. And that also the benefit of law is that it's not something that restricts you just to the legal field. You can apply it everywhere. It's uh, so you can like recently I've been looking at banks and being a private client banker. And um, the reason I did not take anywhere like around criminal, although I don't I don't mind criminal, I just didn't feel it was a thing for me. But one thing that's always impacted me was family law. I think family law was something that really caused a sort of change in the way that I looked at law and caused me to think about actually helping people. And in any case, the point of law is you help clients. You work for clients. You work to make their lives better, no matter the actions that they do, which is why I can rationalize how to defend. You know, I get the question all the time. How can you defend such horrible people? It's because everyone deserves the minimum like the minimum standard is everyone deserves adequate legal representation. That's how the law works. That's how the justice system works. No matter what you do, you're innocent until you're proven guilty. And my job is to help you out in making you, proving you innocent and giving you that argument, giving you that voice. And I felt yeah. I, that really, when I realized that was what the law was about and that was practicing law was about, that's what motivated me. That's, by the way, it's a very um, loyal way to think that way. Because, <laughs> someone who's not a lawyer i would be like ah man if someone's at fault if someone has murdered their wife just send them to jail they don't they don't really deserve to be represented but obviously that's me thinking from an emotional being yeah <laughs> yeah um the, the the thing that i've realized like being in an internship where i faced people who you know i i knew all of their actions and they didn't done some horrible horrible things the ability to defend them uh stemmed from the fact that I, I believe in this thing called the gray principle, which is um, you can either be a lighter shade of gray or a darker shade of gray, but you will always be gray. There's always going to be, there's never a black and white. In this world, there's no no person who has an absolute of black or white. And that's how I live um, kind of my life in a lawyer's perspective. I just try to be a lighter shade of gray. I don't really understand. Like, do you mind breaking it down for sure. um, the, like layman language a bit? Um, when you um, see a light gray is it you know gray being um something which is mixed with a bit of impurity and then black is like completely a pure a pure person um like so when you break it down so if you take the yin yang uh, perspective right so gray is supposed to be chaos and white supposed to be order there's this book called uh, uh 12 rules for life by a man named john peterson and the through that i was uh, kind of able to get through it um when you break down the yin yang you've got chaos and order chaos is the black orders of white. Um, the mix of black and white is gray, right? So the point is you're trying to live your life with more white than gray, than, than yeah. black. And that's the lighter shade of gray. So mm -hmm. I, I see the yin yang as good and bad. The actions that you do, you're never going to be pure white. That's not going to happen. But what you can try to do is live your life in a way that emulates a lighter shade of gray. Yeah. Um, I get that now. Yeah, absolutely. That's a good way to put it, actually. Um, I just want to know, like, now that you're in uni, what kind of headspace are you in? Like, do you regularly self-reflect in the sense that, because, you know, when you constantly self-reflect, you have this thing where you're being honest with yourself and it, it helps you stay clear-headed. And since you are at peace with yourself, you can divert all that energy into being ambitious and doing more projects and being more energetic because you're less stressed and more confident so what's that approach like um within uni i think one of the things that needs to um, be addressed is the fact that you do not have time and um 
your compulsory hours that you, you put towards your tasks are, might be very little. So I have very little contact hours, but the rest of your time is really around building yourself up more than what the uni subject gives you. So for example, we have our essential reading and we have further reading. If you want to get a first class grade, we need to be able to read the further reading and the essential reading itself is so huge. So one thing that happens in uni, at least for law school, is you're always starving for time. So when it comes to self-reflection, there's very little to no time to actually do a bit of self-reflection. Um, the benefit and the, the people, the most successful people I see in uni are the ones who have themselves figured out. So, which is why I would, I want to like extend a sort of a suggestion to, to the listeners. Try your best to figure yourself out as early as you can, because once the hectic world starts, you don't have time. And um, this is, uni is just your preliminary period of getting into that world, because once that I'd world like starts. I'd like to interject yeah, right here. Yeah. Um, contrasting to your opinion where, you know, you kind of suggest viewers to figure themselves out before they enter uni i would say that it's never too late to figure yourself out and it's never True, too yeah. late to, you know kind of give yourself that chance for redemption so it mm. does not matter the kind of person you were yesterday and it does not matter the person you were one year ago but you can change the kind of person you are tomorrow morning or today in one hour yeah. and yeah. that is that's a conscious choice to make and i just think that self-reflection and changing yourself is a process so yeah. it you know that process can can be started earlier like you said you know it can be started but the fruition of the of the final stage where you're like yeah this is me now and this is how i'm going to remain for the rest of my life um that end stage can come in any stage of in like any stage of your life you know you can be 30 and then finally you can say that about yourself or you could be yeah someone like you who who is more sure of themselves now at like 2021 yeah yeah um i i'd agree with you because i i didn't what i didn't mean to say that was that you can never do it yourself i just wanted to assure an idea of urgency because it's better if you get it done now uh, like you know like the, the kabir um proverb so like yeah. it would, like you know you it basically for the people who don't speak English, you if you want to do something do it now so i think when Trump to try and comes to try and figuring yourself out, and I'm in a constant area of flux where I have to figure what I want to do, what are my future paths, what's the next step I have to take. I have to constantly think about it. But the foundational material has already been set. So earlier, the earlier you set that foundational bit of yourself, the better you you can cope with the future. I want to talk a bit about your student ambassador role. Um, and as far as I know, you're involved with freshers and how like how exactly do you describe that position so um the law school student mentor is an individual who represents the birmingham law school who, to the new newbies the new freshers who come in so i was one last year and i'm one this year so what we do is we have a group of fresh uh, freshers um who are assigned to us and we meet them talk to them we have one-on-one -on -one meetings with them and we guide them through their whole private process to school and i've really learned a lot about what new students are like what students are like and it's a lot of mentoring that goes on that relationship yeah so what exactly are the methods which you use um and is it just targeted towards helping them um you know settle into uni so it's like more like professional questions like how do i get to my classes and where mm. do i get food from or is it or, or sometimes can it be more informal conversations about like you know um, you know, I'm staying in this accommodation and I don't like the people 
up, you know, upstairs or they're making too much noise. What do I do about that? You know, it's like a bit more in their personal circle. Like, you know, like, you know how yeah. like questions kind of go from really far away from a person, yeah. like circles of questions. And then they ask you the, you know, the most innermost circle, like, um, you know, I'm having a lot of problems suggesting and I don't have friends. Do you have any suggestion? You know, that's more yeah. vulnerable. So do you deal with those kind of questions as well? Yeah. So I'm the one of the main points of contact for any of the things I have. So I, I deal with a range of questions from, you know, where's this accommodation? Where's this location? Where's this lecture theater? But I also deal with stuff like, uh, you know, I'm having a hard time with my studies. I'm having a hard time listening or understanding the law. Or But then there's obviously, obviously limits to that. So when it goes into a bit more well-being, we have a very good well-being service where we're with mental health and stuff. So I immediately, I say, listen, you can do this thing and you can go through this path because I think you need help. And if you need to, like, let's work it out. And let's, let's get, leave it to the people who are more like professional in that role. And so I'm in that sort of contact where I try my best to be friends with them. But at the same time, and I've got this remark a lot, I call out their bullshit. So if they're trying to bullshit me, I'd be like, listen, no, this is not how it works. Let's get the real thing. And I and what we have is uh, at the end of the year, we write reports on where they are, uh, what they're doing. So we have like a detailed report on every every single individual. And it really helps them in a way to, one, make friends with like their seniors. And two, kind of get an aspect of what do I need to do? Because uni is so different, like from school. It's so irregular and Having that guiding hand is something I love being to these guys. That's awesome. Honestly, I wish I had someone like that. And there were programs set in place by my uni, but I think I was one of those really shy people who were, who was like just so freaked out by talking to anyone who's in UK. Yeah. It's not even it's not even Indians or like I mean right. like too shy to even talk to people of my own kind. I was like, how do I open up and you know share mm-hmm. my problems? Like I I genuinely had like so much fear inside of me that I used to even hesitate getting a bus ticket to right. travel on or place my order like by myself in a restaurant or like like you know how you said like asking a question like where's the lecture hall that would kill me so to have mm-hmm. someone who is open-minded and you know being someone who's like hey you can you can ask me for help I won't kill yeah. you is something good to listen to because yeah. I felt like there was no one around me like that despite mm. there were meetings like oh come to this meet and greet and um talk to your buddies or you know like uh, mm. senior to you but um yeah I just never did it but I wish I did because clearly it's a it's a good platform like how you're helping people I think one of the things it's taught me is also to interact with the vast array of people. I mean, the uh, University of Birmingham is in such a place that we get a lot of international students and we also get a lot of national students. So I've interacted with people from different parts of the country and it's really taught me of household personalities. I've interacted with people who are very shy, who initially don't come and talk to you. But then when you, when you have that one-on-one meeting and I prefer, it's just why I don't like the fact that we're in such distance because I prefer being in person and meeting them for a coffee and sitting down and kind of talking to how they're doing, what's up, and how I can see, how in what way can I help them? So it's all about that sort of thing. And I think I've learned through it how to listen more, how to answer their questions and, and to be of help to them. And that helps me as well with my whole legal journey because my job is to help clients. So these mm-hmm. guys are like my clients. So in that way, I have to do all that I can to help them. And that's really taught me. That's awesome. Awesome, awesome, awesome um (laughs) as you said like 
like when someone is going through an emotional phase or someone is feeling like unstable you suggest them to go to the well-being center mm-hmm. and you might not think you're like you're doing much but actually you're doing a lot for yeah. even someone like when someone's going through a mental break um okay maybe that's a bit too extreme to put it uh, just like a more like um maybe even a depressive episode yeah that sounds yeah. more accurate. um people are always trying to ask for help in the most subtle way possible yeah yeah when what burden someone with their problems and i say this from my own personal experience there were many times i i tried reaching to people like my friends mm-hmm. i i don't know if i should call them my friends but just like acquaintances and i i tried to tell them that i'm going through something and right. um, you know it, it sometimes they just miss the clues they miss the hints mm-hmm. and then finally i met this one girl who wasn't even my friend and i just told her about it and i guess she sensed what i was trying to get to her and she told me to go to the wellbeing center and i went there and um yeah if that one person i hadn't met who kind of you know just told me like just go there mm-hmm. i would be too intimidated to even step into that building i True. knew where to seek help from but i was just too intimidated and i also felt like my problem was not big enough to go there mm-hmm. i was like I'm going to go and tell them that hey guys I I'm I'm really lonely and I have no friends and I feel like everyone hates me and they're going to be like yeah that's everyone in here you know it's not valid enough for me to go and seek out help and yeah. so you know you might not think that oh I just told her to go to the well-being center and take care of herself but that means a lot to a person going yeah. through something I think and, um yeah, yeah. you're sorry if I interjected but so you're so right um I through my own experiences I started to value the need for mental health and no issue is too small to seek help everyone needs help and I think for me and a lot of people in law school is um they don't want to put themselves as weak it's what I've seen and myself as well you don't want to demonstrate yourself as weak by needing help but sometimes that makes you stronger than the people who have not dealt with those issues and will deal with them in the future seeking mental help makes you strong because you're admitting to the world that hey guys i've got a bit of a problem but you know what i'm going to go and and work on it that makes you strong more than weak so i think it's such an important thing to address mental health and nip it in the bud and like address it and not let it become something that you cannot handle Yeah absolutely and um let me give you a very personal example and sure. it's not about myself like you know how you said people who run away from their problems i would describe him as one of those people who has that tendency to just not face problems and it's been so deeply i think that's just you know how i said like you know certain people have those um strategies in place and how they deal with right uh, stress and problems and in our turmoil and yeah and i told you that it it stems from people's family life and parental tactics mm-hmm. and i think it was a combination of that and how he just functions as a regular human being where he just developed this thing that every time he used to face a problem he just buries it at the back of his mind and mm-hmm. now i think at his current stage of life he used to get overwhelmed by everything so easily because there were so many unresolved things in his head mm-hmm. and yeah. you want to be that person because then it it makes it impossible for you to function like a normal human being you can't process happiness you can't process sadness you can't process emotions because as soon as you feel something you get overwhelmed because you there's so much which yeah. you're feeling constantly and you just haven't addressed it you just pretend you're okay yeah. um and for example like um 
with him, I always felt like he had a face on. And it was an external face, which I first saw. And I was like, man, I like this guy. And then later when the face came off, I saw someone who was different. I mm. saw, I'm not saying necessarily bad, but I'm seeing someone who, he was a different person. He wasn't yeah. happy. Like, I wouldn't describe him as happy-go-lucky, but he was like a, um, like a airy, airy presence, like light, mm. light. Mm. Like, you can just talk to him about everything and everything just moves yeah. smoothly. And I need a person like that because I'm a big overthinker and I thought that that we had that balance but mm-hmm. when that face came out i realized that he is a very broken person in a sense and he gets overwhelmed by everything easily so what i'm saying is that clearly he is a person who needs help and i try to help him but it just didn't work out but if you don't want to be in that position it's really important like you said to address the and face your problems head on rather than yeah them stack to the point where you reach a midlife crisis it makes harder for you to then sustain real connections and relationships because we couldn't sustain could we mm. and, and w- the biggest reason was that he was so overwhelmed by by me and i was right. like i can't switch myself off you know what i mean mm. for you i have mm. to live my life I, and if i'm going to live my life i'm going to feel certain things and i want to share that with someone who i'm dating and i can't turn that off just because right. you cannot process my side of the feelings so can't you know what i mean like you like if for example if i tell him a problem he doesn't have anything to say back ever he doesn't mm. have anything to say back because he cannot process anyone right. else's problem because he doesn't have that space in his brain it's like mm. imagine getting uh, getting a usb drive and being full like yeah i think what was very important for listeners also to understand is that sometimes it's valuable to just bring a friend close and say hey can i talk to you for a sec mm-hmm. and share sharing is so important and i something that i benefited from when i told my friends and i said hey man listen i need to talk to you for a bit and you know you let go of some of those issues so that you let the space go you make that usb hard drive you know let it let it like reduce space take the things out that are damaging allow them to speak into you and stuff like that so i think that helps yeah, yeah. sharing absolutely like you said you know like you have to let go and share yeah and he had a he had a huge problem sharing things with me and every time every time he shared something with me he would he would feel so like as if i had invaded his space mm-hmm. because he was so uncomfortable sharing something that deep and personal i don't think he'd ever done it with anyone before before me like no one knows no one knows the real him right and you know so i just want to let the viewers know that i understand the struggle mm-hmm. of sharing but you have to overcome it if you want to get out of that dark space like i think what's also there. yeah it's true you know just say uh, what what's also important is that for people who are accepting it so people on the other side of the coin who are actually listening to it or being affected by them they need help too everybody <laughs> needs help. so even yeah. for you like sometimes it's okay if you know you know like message someone or message and whoever and just say like hey you know listen you got to listen to that so everybody needs help and i think society today is shifting it's it's gears into a phase where it's saying everyone needs help and that's a good thing i like i really like that about society yeah absolutely everyone like uh, that point is so like i can i can relate to that cuz that is my recent past and i'm still yeah. i'm i feel like i'm still getting tremors of that relationship like i'm sitting on the bed and i'm like Ooh. like i get a yeah. shiver like a wave of the emotions i felt when i was dating him mm-hmm. which one day on some days when i'm feeling extremely sad and vulnerable those emotions which are unresolved i wouldn't say i'm completely over it so 
they'd they'd come back and 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 you know i'll just drop a quick message to my friends like guys i'm feeling like this what do i do mm-hmm. but it's the fact that i'm actually speaking this time yeah. the first my first year when i was going through this wave of depression and i'm mm-hmm. sure it's depression because um i have health complications which are also put me in a risk of depression but i just right. didn't know i was i was going through depression i didn't even know that and so right. that's why i i never asked anyone from help it was so weird because i don't even remember most of it i just remember feeling how it felt like mm-hmm. you know like just like i would just describe that phase of like just me eating and going to bed and yeah. that's all i about it that's so I true yeah, i did that as well Yeah. I don't remember how I made the food or when I made the food. I just and I used to eat the same thing every day, which was also one of the things I remember. Like I used to make this fajita wrap and right. it was good. It was good because I've never cooked anything disgusting in my entire life. I'm a good chef. <laughs> But um yeah, that has never happened and that will never happen. I've never made anything shit in my entire life. But um yeah, it was a tasty wrap, but I don't remember making it and I don't and I used to watch suits, I remember. I used to watch like I don't know like the whole day so the whole day i'm on my bed i wore suits and i only used to eat one meal a day which was kind of crazy wow. and i used yes i used to only eat that yeah. one wrap a day nothing else nothing else and just water yeah. and not even water sometimes because i was like i can't get out of my bed now so i used to have one meal a day and yeah it was crazy what the hell why am i getting into this yeah, okay. no, <laughs> yeah no it's right it's okay it's, i think it's it's um it's important to recognize sometimes when life goes wrong and sometimes what we tend to do is we tend to shelve things we tend to keep them in the back of our minds and not reflect on them but then what you do is you look at that and you say look where i'm now you know and look at the change look at that positivity and it's so important to have that so now let's move on to the final segment of the podcast which is about okay. your internship and the most recent things you've done you know okay so Um do you want to talk about any specific case to kind of form the background of this segment So I'm thinking of uh, obviously so I did my internship in uh in the summer of 2019 um which yes. was a three month uh it was a Visurianco it's a very small firm but it was uh, headed by this lawyer who um he's very experienced he's been for years in 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 law so both were main practice areas were criminal uh family uh wills and probate and the uh, civil litigation and so i had three months i had a benefit of having three months of experience with them where we went to the supreme uh, no sorry the uh high courts the state courts and the family mediation center and the family courts and i think um when we talk about this area of having to be truthful to yourself one of the cases that comes to mind is one where i can share a few a few details of it um is yeah. is one where we represented this, uh an a husband who was going through a very tumultuous uh, divorce process with his wife and um you know he he was having an issue with his kids mainly and also with the house and a lot of the payments there's a lot of confusion as to it there was also the issue of the fact that the wife had actually changed her religion and um they were hindu family and in, and then the wife changed her religion to islam and that would had caused a bit of a rift and um it also caused a rift with the kids because there was alleged in, infidelity on his part and um there was alleged infidelity on her part as well by him and there was a lot of issues with the case but one thing that comes to mind that was very clear is he loved his wife he loved his wife and his kids he really wanted their family to stay but the wife could not think of situation where the family is could could be still be together she did not want to be married to him 
And that's the ground for divorce where you have to like irrevocable a breakdown of a marriage. That is where you have the grounds for divorce. And um, they had been separated for a while. The wife did not allow him to see his kids and he should sneak around and have and see his kids. And um, one of the things that impacted me the most was, so we, we constantly make representations and affidavits. So what I was doing was I was drafting those things. That means I had to do the legal research behind it, which means I had a very close contact with him. So he should come to the office often and we used to listen to exactly what he had to say. And I had to, I had to search for the, the research behind the cases, which we could use. But I remember the day when we were going to court, she comes in and unannounced, she brings the two kids. And I saw them, they're like they're 16 and 13. And I remember oh, they were- They shouldn't have been there. They shouldn't have exactly, been there. Exactly. But it was, it, I mean, uh, by looking at looking back at it, it was like a tool, you know, to like, you know, kind of like sell the judge, oh, I have kids, you know, that sort of thing. They were, okay, so they were, so when you look at the family mediation center, there are sort of like three rows. So one row of seats, then there's a pathway leading to the courts on either side. And then there's a second row of seats. And then that's the reception area. He, so myself, the lawyer and him were sitting on one, one row pathway, second row, here's uh, the kids and the wife. What the lawyer did was, then he, the moment the kids came in, his eyes were just on them just on them he didn't look anywhere he didn't think of anything just think about them and i could see that and he was pining to talk to his kids because i think he hadn't talked to them for a couple of months and the kids had been prevented to, from talking to him and you know the wife used to take their phones and kind of like delete the messages and tell them that he was a horrible man and things like that but um i remember there was a situation where she had to go aside and go to the reception so he immediately came darted there and tried to try, try talk to his kids again my eyes were just over there and saying that Everything I write, everything I've written, everything I've researched is going to impact not just his life, but the life of his kids for the rest of their lives. Yeah. Because they're at the foundational stage. And Wait, I have to interrupt yeah. you then and on. ask you more specific questions just to um, understand the situation more. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in a case like this where I'm talking from the point of view of the person who is getting divorced. Like, how, did you see a point where, you know, that the separating couple in question had to make um, a choice where had to separate their emotions, what they felt for each other, and then kind of think what's best for the family? Like, did you notice a point where they had to kind of separate the both? I think that the wife was had reached a point. So what, what we uh, the way we determine divorce is, uh, again, as I said, the grounds irrevocable breakdown of marriage. And that is demonstrated to a, through a few uh, ways. The first way is adultery, unreasonable behavior, uh, separation, and desertion. So these are usually the four ways in which we determine a divorce occurring. These are the actions to determine the fact that the marriage has broken down. So the wife came with the immediate area of, uh, of uh, adultery and uh, unreasonable behavior that he had treated her badly or like alleged again. And um, she had separated herself from the kids. So she had moved away from the kids without his knowledge while he was on a business trip. Um, So the wife was clearly not in for the marriage, which is what caused the divorce. Mm -hmm. But he, again, talking about truthfulness and having to accept the situation at hand, he couldn't do that. There were different actions and he he did not like, obviously he was like very, very vocal about, you know, oh, I don't like what the wife is doing. I want to take this to trial to have her to prove that I, I have committed adultery, to have her to prove that there's unreasonable behavior. But the trial would be incredibly, incredibly damaging towards the kids, which is what the lawyer said. So he said, yeah. a trial, you're going to put her on, on the stand, you're going to have me, which lawyer, 
question her and criticize her and break her down in front of her kids, what effect is that going to have on your family? Because you say that you love her, but yet you're going to put her through something like that. And I'm I representing you. I have to do that. And me being part of this equation, I'd have to research on that. So it's, it's that sort of thing where he kind of, in a way, relented and he said, okay, I have to accept the divorce. So it was a, it was a hard decision to make because he truly loved his wife, loved his kids. Despite the religious differences, he said, put religion to one side. Let's just stay together as a family. Wife wasn't having any of that. So he had to accept the truth. He had to accept the situation and say, okay. So, so it was a, a joint care and control. So that means they both had the, the ability to make decisions for the children. Um, he had to provide a certain amount of maintenance for the children as well for their uh, you know, university, school fees and all that stuff. Is there anything specifically you learned from your internship which you think you will carry with you for the rest of your life? And of course, it could be about, um, you know, just just the sensibilities which, you know, which come in play when you are in a relationship or you're interacting with any other human, really. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, because the, there are layers to relationships and uh, there's a lot to be learned. And just also there's a lot to be learned from a relationship with a mother, a relationship with a, a father, siblings, and there's just different things to be learned. So is this something which you picked up, which you will carry on? I 100%. I think um, the, the internship experience had the privilege of being part of 21 cases for three months and all of them interacting with clients from different practice areas. So uh, I had the privilege of being able to sit in uh, the, each client interview for each of the 21 cases and be part of it, be part, uh, take uh, take notes during the interviews, the client interviews and have to do all that. And I think one of the things that I would take away, one, obviously, in the legal perspective is to be focused. Uh, I think my lawyer should drill it into me. He said, be focused and be alert, which are the key areas of law. You have to be focused and alert in everything that you do. That includes the decisions that you make. Sometimes it's easy for you to deviate and be like, oh, you know, think about other things. But you've got to like rein yourself in and focus on the things at hand. And the second thing I would say would be um, don't think about what anyone else can do. Don't think about what. So, for example, I think one area was where I asked, you know, whoever guy from Oxford or Cambridge comes against you. He said, Oxford, Cambridge doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what university you go to. All that matters is, are you arguing your case well? Are you doing the job that you're doing well? Do not think about Oxford, Cambridge, Harvard, whatever university you're from doesn't make a single difference except the fact that can you prove to the court, to the judge, to yourself more that you are representing this client to the best that can be represented. So is that if that's the real battle. It's not about facing a, a reputed, uh, reputed uh, attorney. That's, yeah. that's kind of something I had to take with me. And do you want to say something in closing? Because I think we've answered all of the questions, actually, which I had for you. And um, give us an update on what you're doing now, actually. So right now, uh, I'm a final year. Um, I will be applying to firms uh, at the moment, a uh, range of law firms and also other commercial firms. Uh, obviously, next month is kind of a career season, especially for university students. One thing I would say, like, to university students is don't let yourself be brought down by what everyone else is doing. Focus on yourself and show your capabilities. You have to have a real think about what can you bring to the table and lawyers and and want to know and the companies want to know what is unique about you. What can you contribute? For me, I can say that I have I have been 
involved in so many areas of dealing and interacting with so many different people and i'm able and i have proven my ability to or at least i think i have to um answer to them and to really provide this thing here which is the key criteria of being a lawyer so you got to determine that or being whatever you want to be when it, and that causes you to have to to do some introspection check on the truths what are your truths in life I've got to say you're a great 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 speaker cuz um it it comes so naturally to you that I don't have to prompt you with questions in order to you know get into the deeper side of things cuz one of the um uh, the comments I've written for the closing remarks is a message you want to send to teenagers going through it or adults who feel lost and right. you kind of answer that by yourself and I just think you have a natural instinct for you know kind of just talking on the spot and i and i think if you ever have the opportunity to like debate or you know oh, I, I, i get scared of debates i'm the worst <laughs> at debates i get so scared which is why i'm going into solicitor pathway but uh yeah it's just it's just being yeah, honest you're, you're in the right stream of things then um being a lawyer because i i think you're great at forming a case and just just stringing sentences together and just the structure of it so yeah, yeah. It's all working Thank out. Thank you for the compliments. I have to say, the compliments are so nice. <laughs> uh, <laughs> welcome. Um, and so, yeah. Um, with that, I think we reached the end of the podcast. And yeah. thank you all so much for listening. And this is the fourth episode. So, if you haven't listened to the other three, you might want to check them out. Um, my episode three is on uh, the art of direct direct communication. and episode 2 is about misogyny which is faced in school and the world and episode 1 is just me and my friend talking about it's like a throwback episode we're talking about random shit like um pilot pens whiteners canteen food <laughs> and um yeah it's quite literally that and some school gossip but all of it kind of centers around us being 10 years old so if you're interested mm-hmm. Yeah, then listen to the first episode. It's very chaotic. I love it. I just um, want to extend my thanks to Shubhi for inviting me to this episode. It's my first podcast experience and yeah, it's been oh, amazing. Great. To and no point did I feel like um you were inexperienced, you know, like uh <laughs> yeah, it almost felt like you you you've done this before. So that's great. Amazing. So can, I, I also yeah. like extend um gratitude for you for coming to this impromptu thing and uh, yeah it was great because um you know just just because i it hasn't taken off the ground yet i think to get that commitment and to get someone to actually show up here is a big thing and yeah i i wouldn't say i'm comfortable inviting a lot of other people on the show so yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you know it's great that you came and thank you and i think you should come more often because you've got of you've course. got an art And, <laughs> yeah, we'll see this in the future, but yeah, sure. Okay. So that's all we have for you today. Don't forget Thank to hit you. the like, like and subscribe button. Please subscribe, okay? It's not that hard. And if you can't subscribe, at 100%. least like. At least like. Come on. You have to do either one of those two things or at least do both. I don't know. Like <laughs> um <laughs> tell Aaron if you liked him, so hit the subscribe. Yes. You can find me on LinkedIn, you can find me on Instagram. You could Yeah, I will I can I will and I can <laughs> leave um the links to his social media in the description box below 
and um, yeah if you want to follow him on instagram you can follow him there too but he doesn't post much so what okay <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah cool 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 also if you have any questions you want to ask me and if any you have any requests uh, on a certain topic you want me to make a video on then leave it in the comment section below or uh, email me at depth depths i can't say it <laughs> depths by um, shubhibarthwala@gmail.com and that will also be in the description box below and hopefully floating above our heads right now so yeah with that bye bye bye